You know, I've, I've tried to learn over the 50 years I've been a believer, but especially the 43 years or five years that I've been in ministry, how to life speak. Did you, because, uh, you know, my natural inclination with my family was critical and troublesome, like some of you relate to what I'm saying, right? It kind of runs in the genes. Don't you love Jesus' life speak? Isn't he awesome? Hey, disciples, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to you, anybody get that? Isn't it true? Yeah, like, okay, you're just telling me the truth about myself. I accept that. I, I, th- I can see you really love that one. Okay, so I was thinking about that as we were singing and worshiping. And uh, it's time for the offering. Could we, oh, wait a minute. That all went away with COVID, didn't it? But today we're going to celebrate the Lord's table together. And one thing that doesn't go away is that the Lord's table, that's traditionally in church is a time of body life, right? Welcome back, by the way, guys. Yeah, glad you didn't move to misery permanently. That would not be good. So we have a sister that's been with our, and I'm going to let her answer questions instead of me try to guess, but I'm going to ask Bev Bays if she would come forward. Bev Bays has been in this assembly before Adam, I think. Uh, no, not that long. There's my death speak right there. <laughs> I'm sorry, Bev. Uh, we've been through a lot together with the loss of her hubby and everything else. But, um, Bev, you are moving to Boston. Come along, boys. We're going to Boston. That's an old song. What now? They're making signs at me. I never know what's going to happen here. Let me. uh, I'm probably messing mine up. Thank you, Bev. uh, You were here for the founding of the church, right? Well, yeah. We started when Pastor Minto had services in his house. In his house. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so how long ago was it? Tell me when that started. (laughs) Guess. Just guess. Jim and I would have been married like 50. Eight years this year. Okay. So it was not long after that. We were going to another church, and he would say to the minister, how come you're not preaching salvation? (laughs) So Pastor Minto saw us, and we didn't know him, and then we ended up in Bible study in his church. And then they started building this, and we were here when they built it. Yeah. So 50 years ago-ish, right? By the way, if you don't know Bev, her two sisters are sitting right here, also long-term p- pillars of the church, right? So Earlene and Joan, raise your, at least let, let everybody know you. they are there. Don't let them escape, and I know they're going to miss Bev. And so uh, it's appropriate when we release someone from an assembly, her being a faithful churchgoer, she'll probably find another assembly on the other end. Gregory goes oh. to a church in Midway, and there's like a thousand members. I've been there. Mm. Aren't you going to get lost among a thousand members? <laughs> no. It's, actually, they have a praise band just like this one, and it's amazing. Shameful boogie-woogie. <laughs> All right. I'm going to ask the pastoral staff that are in the room, because we're releasing her from our pastoral care to the pastoral care of another church, even if they do have a thousand members. I'm oh, sure they have pastoral aid. So, uh, Dennis, if you would come on up. Is Tim still, or did he go downstairs? He probably went downstairs. He's on duty this week, I remember. We're just going to lay hands on our sister and pray and send her on her way with the favor of God, right? So let's say goodbye in prayer together. 
Lord, thank you for uh, calling us as we just sang about, not because we're righteous, because we know better. We, uh, we affirm if we're true disciples who followed along joyfully with Jesus and experienced so much with him, um, we joyfully receive his word. If you being evil, you know your weaknesses, you know you got a naughty side, but we still understand what it means to love and to care. And so, Lord, we, uh, we lift up our sister who has been part of this assembly as she leaves from this love community. And uh, we're all growing in that. We commend her to your grace as she does go, even to this large place. God, your spirit works in those churches, little churches, house churches, all kinds of places. And no matter how long we've known you, we're continuing to grow till the day we see Jesus face to face. So grant that mercy and grace in my sister as she goes. We ask for angelic protection. We ask for joy in getting settled and not too much exhaustion. We thank you for our son, Greg, who lives nearby and is a, is a good son watching out for us. So put your favor on her. Bless, we pray, and um, help her sisters too as uh, she leaves us. In the great name of Jesus, we pray, and all of God's people said, amen. amen and amen. Let me give you a hug. All right. Well, this morning, I only have one text that you could possibly turn to, and so uh, I'm not going to have you necessarily look it up unless you want to. We'll get to it later as we work our way through the text. But um, I'm going to put the title up, which is His Terrible Love. And um, I, I, I forgot, actually, my, uh, my brother Ryan helped me out when he called me last night to understand something. Um, His Terrible Love... I put the asterisk up later because I forgot I stole it. You know me. I do that a lot. Uh, if you've been here before, uh, I have shared this two times in the eight years I've been here. Most of us probably forgot it by now. But um, maybe today it'll be a little more helpful. One of the things that um, I have found is that allegories or stories are very helpful teaching tools. But I've also found that when I've shared them, um, had, a, had a story a long time ago, which was a vivid illustration of a man becoming an ant to rescue his ant community. And I had someone come up after and say they didn't understand what that was about. And I thought, maybe it's more helpful to explain in detail. And so I'm going to try to do that a little bit. I see pictures of the gospel everywhere. If you can watch Lord of the Rings and not see the picture of the gospel in it, uh, you're missing something. It's all around us. The war between good and evil, the brokenness of man, and the need for redemption and uh, redemptive uh, endeavors, they're everywhere. And so hopefully that'll be helpful to you today. And uh, I will get to that in just a minute. Did you listen to the song we just sang? I'm used to the old version, remember? Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. I mean, non-believers sing it. They play it at, at funerals. They don't even know what it means sometimes, but it's famous. John Newton, the slave trader who gets born again, and that whole story, right? Wonderful background, worth looking up sometimes. Um, I once was, but now I'm, was blind, 
but now I uh, that's the primary phrase that we need to park on in our message today. I found that life, as I said, not only just movies, I know you all think I live in movies and Hey, this fall, I'm going to bring some new videos to bear instead of 70s, okay? All right, all right. Because I've been sinning watching Netflix, I'm just telling you. (laughs) Life is full, though, of teachable moments. Am I right? Our kids use, I mean, it can be film, it can be events, it can be books, you can find them everywhere, but uh, our kids used to ride the school bus to school. Some of you know what that means. And uh, it's always uh, an educational experience when children ride school buses to school. And uh, I didn't say they were good. I just said they're educational. I'm seeing this out there, you know, educational experiences. So our kids would come home. And on Monday, that was my day off. We would have family time after they got off the bus and had a snack or whatever. And we'd have quiet time and uh, talk about, oh, and boy, we would hear stories about certain behaviors and certain new words that have filtered into our children's vocabulary and whatever it might be. And it gave an opportunity to do what the Old Testament said. Hear, O Israel, you know, the Lord is your God. Teach these precepts to your children when you're walking by the way, when you lie down, when you get up. Everybody remember that? It's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. You don't wait for formal Sunday school class. Every day, just about, there are opportunities to instruct. Visual aids, if you will. And so we would learn from these things. It was a great uh, way to enter into, let's see what the Bible says about that. Does God have an opinion about this behavior? Are there reasons why their behavior is so poor? Or they treated you this way? What do you think is happening in their house before they get on the bus? So, what I'm going to read today is a true allegory, but it is a great picture illustrating that verse, uh, that verse from the song, I once was blind, but now I see. Our blindness to sin and to the danger of it, and I don't want to get off track by opining about the absence of any understanding of sin in our culture because it's rampant. You know, Carl Menninger, a psychologist years ago, wrote a book addressing what was decaying in our culture. And the name of his book was Whatever Happened to Sin? Whatever Became of Sin? We don't want to shame anybody. We don't want to say anything wrong. We don't want to say it's wicked. And the result is nothing's wrong, apparently. You might remember a few weeks ago when I mentioned uh, on that revival morning, I didn't use the word revival, but you know that's what I was talking about, that uh, when we're moving toward that kind of an awakening, what becomes stark raving reality to people is both the holiness of God, his unapproachability, if you will, and the depth of sin in our culture and ourselves. Those two things are true. So today, that's what I want to talk about. And As we're moving into this, let me just say, the first part of your um, bulletin, if you're a note-taker, and there are some things that um, I'm going to add if you are a note-taker that I didn't get in the notes, but I will add it later. Um, We want to talk about the apprehension of the subject at hand. 
The name of the article, I found it in discipleship journals probably 30 years ago. I'm not sure. How long is Wangren? You're a Wangren fan, right? Walter Wangren wrote a little story, and in the magazine it said, And Grace My Fears Relieved, by Walter Wangren, Jr., a picture of God's terrible, wonderful love. Terrible, wonderful love. That's not terrible like I ate food that was terrible. My grandmother used to say, we tried to get into Manhattan and the traffic was terrible. Or the traffic was terrific. That's what she would say. But it's referring to the fact that it is somewhat terrifying. So we need to gain, and your first note section is, an apprehension. And I use that word both ways. I took out my huge, I mean it's this big, dictionary and looked up apprehension just to make sure I wasn't making a mistake. You know, when you get older, you start to... Is that what that meant? Or how do you spell that? I was pretty sure I was right, and I was. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. Okay. Apprehension both ways. I'm apprehensive when I'm fearful, right? I like talking to a brother. I won't mention any name. I really won't mention the name this time, but who senses something in this building occasionally. They're apprehensive, right? We're going to talk about that in a few weeks. I'm coming back to it later. Don't miss. We're not recording or streaming it that Sunday. You got to come. No, I'm kidding. I made that up. (laughs) Apprehension. Fear, but also it means to start grasping. You get a hold of it. Full comprehension is one thing. Apprehension means I'm starting to get, I think I understand this. I'm starting to get a picture of it. Here's some verses that kind of speak into the issue, because I'm going to just say it. Fear is a word we don't like, and we don't like to attribute it to God, because we've got God figured out, and Aslan is just a kitty cat. Not a roaring lion. Uh Uh-uh. Not the lion of Judah. Here's the verses. Let's go to the Old Testament first. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord God require from you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and love him. It is not inconsistent to love and fear at the same time. If your parents did their job right, which unfortunately two or three generations haven't, you fear them and love them at the same time. You enjoy their love and their nurture and their cuddling and all the good things. Parents want the best for you, but because they want the best for you, when you are doing something destructive, hopefully you got an attitude adjustment, or as my son likes to say to his little daughter, is it time for a pow-pow? not inconsistent stop dividing it being absolute and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul because that comes out of loving and fearing God and to keep the Lord's commandments and his statutes which I am commanding you today to make you miserable okay you got the point next verse talking about Paul's burden for the lost look at this one Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. Anybody remember the King James Version? 
knowing the terror of the Lord, the terror of the Lord, his terrible love, his terrible holiness, if you will. Here's the last one, Hebrews. These are just to put it out there that the Bible is full of this instruction. When I pulled it up on my computer, I had to sort through lots of references. I thought these would be a good survey. Hebrews chapter 12. We were in Hebrews a few months back. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude. How do we show gratitude? By which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. Sometimes translated fear. Okay? Reverence and awe. Uh, I'm going to leave that up for just a second. You know what verse comes after that? Anybody know the next verse? For our God is a consuming fire. Play with fire, you might get two words. Reverence and awe. Not the usual words. Phobia. Phobus. That's the usual word. Two different words. Piety. Reverence is piety. Reverent. Listen to this. Reverence, submissiveness. Here's a good word. Compliance. Compliance. That's why when we instructed our children, you obey first. I'll explain it to you later. You obey first. Compliance. What was that movie? Oh, space. Compliance, the robot would say. Anyway, never mind. See what happens? If my wife's not here, my ADD will take us all the way back to Newburgh. Anyway, second word, awe. Shyness. What? Shyness. Respectful reserve, reticence, appropriate demeanor in the presence of certain people. There are people I'm not going to walk up to and blah, 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 because it wouldn't be appropriate and I'll look like a dolt, which, by the way, I have managed to do on occasion. And I'll bet some of you have as well. Respectful reserve, reticence. I'm not sure I could speak. I'm not sure I, I am important enough to have my face in the middle of this. Not sure. I have recommended numerous times a reading in the uh, book of uh, the book of the Cross of Christ by John Stott. Um, there are not too many books that I would say would be a, should be close, if not on the top of your reading list, if you're interested in your Christian life and understanding true biblical theology about why you need a savior than this one. And um, I make recommendations. I know some of us aren't readers and all of that. I get it. But if you are inclined, let me recommend you get your hands on a copy. I'm just going to read from this section, and I'm going to have to humble myself a little. This is 109 of the book, John Stott, The Cross of Christ, a theological treatise, really, on the need for the cross. There is much shallowness and levity among us. Prophets and psalmists would probably say of us that there is no fear of God before their eyes. In public worship, our habit is to slouch or squat. We do not kneel nowadays, let alone prostrate ourselves in humility before God. It is more characteristic of us to clap our hands with joy than to blush with shame or tears. 
We saunter up to God to claim his patronage and friendship. It does not occur to us that he might send us away. Get out of here with that attitude. What? We need to hear again the Apostle Peter's sobering words. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives in reverent fear. In other words, if we dare to call our judge our father, by the way, he is, we must beware of presuming upon him. We learn to appreciate the access to God which Christ has won for us. Listen, brothers and sisters, we're going to celebrate that today. But we only really appreciate what he's won for us after we have first seen God's inaccessibility to sinners. You don't have a right to be in his presence. You get it? We can cry hallelujah with authenticity only after we have first cried, woe is me, for I am lost. In Dale's words, it is partly because sin does not provoke our own wrath that we do not believe sin provokes the wrath of God. You bet it's true. We don't think our sin provokes the wrath of God. I am actually, before I make, I, this statement came to me and I put it in capitals because I'm going to make it dogmatic. Maybe I'll have it on my tombstone. I don't know. We don't fear God and we don't fear sin, right? When I was a kid, I lived in a neighborhood in Queens. It's where I grew up, not far from the Whitestone Bridge. Any of you have ever crossed? I used to play handball under the Whitestone Bridge. And uh, in our neighborhood, on the two blocks, there were some kids, kids I didn't want to play with. I got beat up too many times by them. I'd like to see them again now. But anyway, um, and then there were kids on the other block that I got along great with, and one of them was the McCullough family. And I remember playing with these nice Irish kids. Maybe it was our genetics that drew us together. There were four of them, two twins, and one middle kid who was a little older than the twins. And one day we were playing. We had access to the home. We'd come into the kitchen. I remember his wife, his uh, mom talking. She was a nice lady. And um, went in. It was hot. It was summer playtime. There was a glass sitting on the full of clear liquid. And Jeannie ran over, grabbed it, and just chugged it. And his mother freaked because it was cleaning fluid. And he almost killed himself. She got it out of his hands, made him spit it out. Drama, drama, drama. Woohoo! That was an exciting moment. <laughs> because blindness to the danger means you don't run away from it. I am convinced that a lack of fear is why so many Christians are such terrible disciples. Terrible disciples. So, let's look at our allegory today, shall we? On that uplifting note. I wanted to park on one thing, though. I did want to say, when I read that out of Stott again, I felt it might be appropriate for me to humble myself a bit. And here's why. Not because I don't believe God has a sense of humor and that Having fun in church, which I have said over and over again, is legitimate. So, see, some of us will become very legalistic with what I'm about to say and become very pious. You shouldn't talk like that in church. You shouldn't dress like that in church. You shouldn't smell like Anyway, <laughs> whatever it is, that's not where I'm going. 
But where I am going is that when we don't understand the fear of the Lord, sometimes when I've prayed, I will, I will be humorous. And I'm not sure that that's good for us as a congregation. Does that make sense? Okay. Not that I'm beating myself up. I'm not. I'm just thinking, how have I helped us as a congregation who, from my perspective eight years ago, has very little fear of God to gain more of it? Because I think that's really what we need to understand. We're dealing with a consuming fire. So I'm going to read this, and um, I'm going to ask you to be gracious. If you've heard it before, just don't snore. But try to tune in again. And for some of you, you've never heard it, and I know. I was going through this getting ready, and I was weeping through half of it. I couldn't help myself. There's an introduction which I'm going to break up, and then I'm going to read the story without interruption, okay? His introduction goes like this. First of all, the love of God is a terrible thing. It begins by revealing unto us such treacheries and threats in the world that we know we must die soon. And until then, we are sure, we shall live in continual terror of the end to come. The first act of divine love is to persuade us of the reality of death. Did you hear that? The first act of divine love is to persuade us of the reality of death. We shudder and doubt that this can be love. We hate the messenger. We loathe such lovers. But it is a dear, necessary act nevertheless. Because without it, the second act of God's love would be altogether meaningless to us. I'm telling you, I've been in this business 45 years. People are in denial. That's how we deal with our fear of death. We just make believe it doesn't exist. Funerals, obituaries, total denial, refusal to face the reality. You are going to walk through door, the door of death, and then what? Don't want to think about that. The second act is mercy, an absurdity of mercy. It is that God himself enters the same reality he first revealed unto us. He bows down and joins us under the same threat of death. And those who he taught to fear, he leads to safety. Those who he taught to fear, he leads to safety. But those he taught to fear, he leads to safety. But those who do not fear, do not follow. See? We had to suffer extremist fright in order to know our extreme need. Let me illustrate that from the carnal world, if I may. I remember when I was growing up, I don't know whether it's age or what, but I'm going back to that childhood experience, junior high, high school. There was a major campaign on a number of fronts, trying to curb sexuality, trying to curb drug use, and trying to curb smoking. That was back in the 60s and 70s. And they had these graphic advertisements showing people's lungs. Some of you are going, yeah, they were glorious, weren't they? And being a wuss as I was, I looked at that and went, no way. And after I tried one and cocked my brains out, I thought, definitely no way. In spite of trying to be cool, 
you know it. And my point is, people are suffering the consequences years later. Why? Because they have no fear of it. It didn't register. I don't care how many times they told them, don't do this. Somehow I'm going to cheat. Somehow I'm going to escape the concept. Am I right? We need to fear in order to do right, to obey, to follow. That's what that following means, obey God. So you go away from sin, which destroys you. Okay, so I preached a little bit too much in this introduction. We had, yes, we had to suffer extremist fright in order to know our extreme need. We who are under death must admit the parable. We have no other choice except to die, except to die. But God, who exists above death, who knows no need at all, had the choice that we didn't have. He emptied himself of power and humility, uh, humbled himself to death. Then, even death on a cross, this was purely an act of mercy on our behalf. Then who can measure the love of God to be thrice sacrificed? First, to be despised for declaring the terrible truth. Do you know what that feels like? You share the good news, you share warnings, you're despised for it. I get that part. Who can measure the love of God to be thrice sacrificed? First, to be despised for declaring the terrible truth. Second, to descend by choice into this treacherous and transient world. Third, to save us by dying indeed the death he had revealed. Dying it in our stead. Or whereunto shall I liken so violent, valiant, and near an approach of the kingdom of heaven unto us? Well, then we're going to hear the story. But before I tell the story, there's a verse that I took out and put back in. You know what? I have too many things on my dealy here within this sort of a pulpit I've got. Here we go. Now I'm in business. Before I read the actual, the actual uh, allegory, there was a verse that I took out and then I changed my mind and decided it should be in. So I'm going to ask that we put it on the, on the screen for just a moment. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 15. It says this, Since then the children share in flesh and blood, that's us, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, who keeps us fearful. So we don't want to look. We don't want to listen. No, 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 we're not going to die. Yes, you are. And might deliver those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. When we celebrate the table today, that's what we're celebrating. He rescued us from death, assurance that I know I've conquered death. Why? Because I'm in him. This last week, uh, our sister Lori Sauer went to be with Jesus. I know you know that. I pulled out her obit today, looking at it. I'm going to take a risk here and let you in a little bit where maybe only the pastoral staff would normally discuss, but that might edify you. Because Lori knew the Lord, and the way the obit reads, if you haven't read it already, is that she entered into the kingdom of heaven on September 22nd, 
following a valiant battle with cancer. Final day spent at home. And um, this last week, um, the day before, I was sorely pressed in spirit to try to get in to see her. I had seen her one other time a couple of weeks earlier, and we had talked about the fact, and we've talked about it before. She has told me over and over again, I just want to go home. I just want to go home to be with Jesus. Aren't we a sick group of people, Christians? Because sometimes you have to walk a person like that through guilt because I'm sure I'm wrong for feeling that way. No, you're not. Paul said, if I stay here to help you, that's a good thing. Praise the Lord. If I can go home to see Jesus, that's even better, baby. Getting it straight. She just was tired of the pain and wanted to go home. So I got there Tuesday, and this happens to me occasionally, and this is not about me, this is about God and his goodness to his children. I knew she wanted to go home, and um, so that's how I prayed for her. Lord, release your servant. The story came to me of... um, Uh, Zechariah in the temple when he sees the baby Jesus and he says, Now, Lord, let your servant depart in peace. I have seen your salvation in my hands. And that's exactly what I used. That verse to pray over my sister Lori and within 12 hours she was in the presence of Jesus. You may not want me to come to pray for you when you're sick. (laughs) But I want to tell you, that was, those are tender moments for the saints. And it's not limited just to pastors. We'll talk about that more when we get on the subject of giftings, but that's coming later. So now, let me go to our story. The fear, my point of that was that verse, the fear of death was beaten in Lori. She won that victory. The devil had no hold on her in that regard. And that's how saints ought to go. I'm trusting him that when the time comes, he'll give me dying grace. That's all I need. So let me pick up where I left off. Whereunto shall we liken so vile and valiant and near an approach to the kingdom of heaven unto us? The coming of the kingdom is like the coming of my father to my brothers and me when we sat fishing, blithely fishing, from a ledge 12 feet above the water in a stony cove in Glacier National Park. In that year of sudden awakening, 1954, I was 10. My brothers, grinning idiots all for that they followed a fool, were in descending order 9, 7, and 6. Before our trip from Grand Forks West, I had furnished myself with fishing equipment with A Cheerios box top and my personal dime I sent away for ten small hooks, three flies, leader, line, red and white bobber, and three thin pieces of bamboo that fit snugly into one pole. Such a deal, such a shrewd fellow I felt myself to be. On a bright blue morning, we chopped bits of bacon into a pouch and went forth to fish. We sought a mountain stream. Though we ourselves did not depart the trail from the campground, not immediately, Fortunately, that same trail turned into a wooden bridge that crossed a furious roaring waters, a crashing of falls from the slower bed of a stream. A mountain stream, there to our right, before it dived down onto the rocky chasm, immediately below this bridge was a mountain stream filled with fishes. Certainly, we had found it. 
But the bridge joined two walls of stone, and even the slower stream came through a high defile. But I was a shrewd fellow in those days, a leader indeed. I noticed that a narrow ledge snaked away from the far end of the bridge and that it was overbellied by an enormous boulder and therefore hidden from the view of lesser scouts. If we could crawl that ledge on hands and knees through its narrowest part, ducking low the boulder, why, we'd come to a widening, a hemisphere of stone big enough to sit on from which to dangle our legs, a sort of fortress of stone, since the wall went up from that ledge a flat 12 feet and down again from that ledge another direct 12 feet. Perfect, safe from attacks, good for fishing. I led my blinking brothers thither. That's old English language. None questioned me. I was the oldest. Beside, I was the one with foresight enough to have purchased a fishing pole. You got to flatten out here, I called back, grunting in order to fit beneath the outcropping boulder. They did. One by one, they arrived with me in a fine round hideout. Above the sheer rock, some trees leaned over and looked down upon us. Below our feet, there turned a lucid pool of water, itself some 12 feet deep. And so the brothers Wangerin began to spend a fine day fishing. We took turns with the pole. The bacon didn't work, but as a sign of our favor with all the world, the trees dropped down on silken threads some tiny green worms, exactly the size of our tiny hooks. We reached out, plucked the worms from the air, baited the hooks, and caught truly, truly several fingerling fish. Oh, it was a good day. All that we needed, we had. And then came my father. We didn't see him at first. We weren't thinking about him. So filled with ourselves we were, our chatting and our various successes. But I heard through the waters raw a cry. Distant, distant, Wally. I glanced up to my right where the water disappeared over stone, where the bridge arched it, and I almost glanced away again, but a wild waving caught my eye. Wally, Wally, Wally! Dad? Yes, it was Dad. Hey, look, you guys, there's Dad leaning over the bridge. They all looked, and straightway, Philip started to cry. And then Mike, too. Paul dropped my pole into the water 12 feet below, and I saw in our father's eyes a terror I had never seen before. Wally, how did you get over there? Over here? I looked around. Suddenly, here was no fortress at all. It was a precipice. A sheer stone dropped to a drowning water, and that water rushed toward a thundering falls far, far below my father. With his eyes, I saw what I had not seen before. In his seeing, which loved us terribly, I saw our peril. He was crying out as loud as he could, Wally, come here, come here. But the ledge by which we had come had shrunk. It was as thin as a lip now. The hairs on my neck had started to tingle, and my butt grew roots. I couldn't move. Neither did my brothers. I couldn't move. I didn't even shake my head. I was afraid that any motion at all would pitch me headlong into the pool below. I gaped at my father, speechless. He stopped waving. He lowered his arms and stopped shouting. He stood for an eternal moment looking at us from the bridge, and then with his mouth he formed the word, wait. We couldn't hear it. He didn't lift his voice. 
Quietly under the booming waters, he whispered, wait. Then he bent down, removed his shoes. At the near end of the bridge, he bent down farther, farther until he was on his stomach, worming forward, knocking dust and pebbles by his body into the stream, bowing beneath the enormous boulder that blocked our freedom. Dad's coming. See him? Yep, Dad's coming. I knew he would. He pulled himself ahead on the points of his elbows like the infantry beneath barbed wire. His faith face drawn and anxious. He was wearing shorts and a long sleeve flannel shirt, red with darker squares, I remember. When he came to our tiny cove, he turned on his belly and hissed to the youngest of us, Mike, take my heel. Mike was six. He didn't. Mike, now! Dad shouted above the waterfall with real anger. Grab my heel in your hand and follow me. This is the one I have a hard time with. You should know that my father is by nature and breeding a profession and profession, a formal man. I don't recall him often to go into public wearing short sleeve shirts, nor would he permit people to call him by his first name, asking rather that they address him according to his position, his title, his degree. Even today, the most familiar name he will respond to is Doc. Dad is two-legged and upright. Dad is organized, control, clean, precise, dignified, decorous, civil, and formal. What a descent it was, therefore. What a sweet humiliation that he should on his stomach scrabble this way and that, coming unstoned and going again, pulling after him one son after the other, Michael, Philip, Paul, and then me. Wally grabbed my heel, follow me. It wasn't he who put us in these straits. Nevertheless, he chose to enter them with us in order to take us out with him. It was foolishness that put us here. It was love that brought him. So he measured the motion of his long leg by the length of my small arm, and he never pulled farther than I could reach. The waters roared and were troubled. The granite shook with the swelling thereof, but my father was present and very present. I felt the flesh of his heel in my hand leading me, and I was still in my soul. I ceased to be afraid. That stony cove had not been a refuge at all, but a danger. Rather, my father in love bore refuge unto me. My father bore me back safety again. So I did not die in the day of my great stupidity. I lived. Thus, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a certain man whose eldest son was a nincompoop. I thought as we read that story, or as I read it, Here's the points that came to me, and I wanted to repeat them so that we don't miss them, because I think we could, as other people have missed the points. The first was the allure. What a great place to go fishing. Not. Isn't that how sin is? Oh, this seems like a great idea. This seems like something I absolutely must have. 
I surely have the right to spend it on this or whatever it happens to be. It always looks good. Sin always is attractive, and we don't even know it's sin half the time. Some of us think that God's pretty lucky to have us in his family. God help you. The second thing is deception. This one's classic to me. God was blessing us, sending worms down to help us fish. Things couldn't be any better. Like my friend, I won't even mention his name, who I was a teenage friend before I became a Christian, who was telling me that his score with some girl using a woman for his gratification was a gift from God. Oh, no, I've heard worse than that, believe me. That's deception about sin. Oh, I must be living in his favor. So filled with ourselves were we. We didn't notice that God had an opinion about that. The gift of sight with his eyes, I know you got this one, I truly saw. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear. And grace my fears relieved. Then, the part that kills me, the condescension of God. Formal doctor crawling around, dragging his kids away from danger. The dignity and the humiliation of God. Both are true. Both are true. And when we celebrate the Lord's table, we're remembering his humiliation to rescue losers, nincompoops like us. Oh, I'm mad at what you're saying. Then you need to get born again. Jesus said, except the man or woman be born again, they cannot see the kingdom of heaven. You need to be born again. Or maybe you need to be born again again. Or again, again, again. The grace of God is not used up. Make use of it. Guilt. Our fault, not his. He didn't get us into this mess. We did. How many times I hear the world accuse God of the wreckage in this world, the suffering and death and everything else, and yes, it's there. And yes, he has permitted it for his good purposes, but he didn't cause it. We did. Our ancestor, who are very proud to say, I have this ancestry. Look how good that worked out for us. (laughs) But thank God we have another ancestry. The ancestry of grace found in the person of Jesus. And so he, as I held his foot, he bore me to safety. And don't you love the second half of that? I ceased to be afraid. I ceased to fear death. I ceased to be afraid. Isn't it interesting how many times in the New Testament the apostles say grace and peace to you? Grace and peace. We don't live in it because we're not following. Only if you fear do you follow. So here's my application. The theme verse I was going to put in, and I I did put it in your notes, if you'd like to keep track of it. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in what? The fear of God. Because fear helps me obey. I follow to get away from danger. Because it's not just danger eternally, my brothers and sisters. The wreckage in our lives and our families is a result of not following. Because we don't fear them. And communion reminds us today that we have peace and safety. And he's brought to an end. 
So serve him fully with the right kind of fear. Amen? Serve him fully because that's the exhortation. And it's also an opportunity not only in fearing our God, but loving our God and worshiping our God, an opportunity to take advantage of what he did for us even today to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now I have a question for you just before we close, and I know we're going a little over. You have a communion pack with you, and we're going to partake together in a minute. I'm going to ask for three things. One is I'm going to ask you a question as a congregation. And the second thing, I want to ask somebody who knows the power of the blood to cleanse sin experientially, not just here, here. I want you to volunteer to pray out loud at the end of our communion time, okay? And somebody who gets the idea that Jesus died on the cross for us, it took a death, a body, because that's the first part of our communion. It took a death. It took a person coming in, in the flesh, rescuing us, going out on the ledge to give thanks for the body of Christ, the God-man coming into the world. Do I have two volunteers who get those two things, the power of the blood in your life and the reality? I'm sure there's more than two in the room. All you have to do is pray out loud. Which one would you want? The first one. How about the second one? Anybody cleansed from sin lately? No? You're all dirty? Boy, it's a good thing we're having communion today. Where, where? There. Okay, Don Nauta, you can. All right, so when we get to that point, I'll ask you guys to pray, all right? Now the first question. Be honest with yourself. Are you still out on the ledge? And let me ask you something else. Would you go back out on the ledge because it was so much fun fishing out there? Be honest with yourself because some of us would. Yeah, I can get away. I can cheat death another time. I triple dog dare us to pray. Lord, teach me to fear. The fear of the Lord. My life's verse, Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. It's worked for me for 50 years. Let me show you what the Bible tells us about our position and why we're celebrating this table today. Romans chapter 5, it'll be familiar. God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were wonderful. Oh, wait a minute. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. If we were sinners, look at, if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And all of God's people said, amen, amen to that. Let's take our cup, carefully undo it. And we're grateful that dad came and he bore us back to safety. And the first part of that was he had to enter into life with us and become flesh. So I'm going to ask my brother back there to give thanks for the body of Christ. Pray loudly, okay? Not a problem. So stand up and pray. Father God, thank you so much, Father God, for just this moment of communion. Thank you for your gift of salvation, Father God. 
as on Second Corinthians 5.17 says, we are now new creations, we're, we're new creatures, Father God, by your blood, by the blood of Christ shed on the cross. So we just want to thank you with all our hearts and, and all our soul and, and, and worship you and love you, Father God, for that gift and for that act yeah. that changed everything, gave us this wonderful gift of salvation. Amen. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Let's partake together. Thank you, Lord. And for the blood, brother. Father, I thank you and I praise you for all that you have done in enabling us to come before you today. Father, thank you so much for providing salvation and mercy and grace. Father, I, I feel as though I, I can stand with Paul when Paul said he was the chief of sinners. Father, I, I feel in my own life I've rivaled that in so many times. And Lord, I just... I thank you, Father, that I can come and be in your presence today. I thank you that we can come and be in your presence today only because of what you've done. We were truly enemies of yours, and you've made it possible for us to be called sons and daughters. Father, I thank you for your word today, for the reminder of who we are, for who we were and who we are mm -hmm. and who we can be in you. Father, thank you for your grace, your mercy, and for your blood, for humbling yourself and leading us to salvation. We pray in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. The one who humbled himself is a king. Let's say it. To the king and to his kingdom. There is a king. Help us, Lord Jesus, to be full of gratitude, appropriate fear, and followers well, thank you for helping us, God. Help us, especially the little flock. Pour grace upon grace to build them up in their most holy faith. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Soul for my soul, 
Christ laid aside his crown for my soul. To God and to the Lamb I will sing, I will sing. To God and to the Lamb I will sing. To God and to the Lamb who is the great I am. While millions join the theme I will sing. While millions join the theme, I will sing. And when from death I'm free, I'll sing on, I'll sing on. And when from death I'm free, I'll sing on. And when from death I'm free, I'll sing and joyful be. And through eternity, I'll sing on, I'll sing on. And through eternity, I'll sing on. What wondrous love is this, O my soul, O my soul? What wondrous love is this, O my soul? Thank you, Lord, for that wondrous love. For being our, our, our good, good father. Worthy of all praise and glory. A God who we should approach with fear and reverence. And a God who accepts us in your beloved. Thank you for the shed blood of Jesus. Because without that, we can't approach you. Without that, we are doomed. But thank you for that shed blood and thank you that on the third day he rose again. Thank you that he's coming back. Bless and keep us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.